If you like the Live Wild podcast and enjoy hunting-related apparel, I've got you covered. I just launched some great t-shirts, hats, and sweatshirts under my own Live Wild brand. You can find them now on my website, remywarren.com. I just want to say thanks again, everyone, for all the support, and I really hope you enjoy these designs as much as I do. Who knows? Maybe you'll head over to my website and find your next lucky hat. I'm Remy Warren, and I've lived my life in the wild. As a professional guide and hunter, I've spent thousands of days perfecting my craft. I want to give that knowledge to you. In this podcast, we relive some of my past adventures as I give you practical hunting tips to make you more successful. Whether you're just getting started or a lifelong hunter, this podcast will bring you along on the hunt and teach you how to live wild. This podcast is presented by Mountain Tough and Yeti. I partnered with Mountain Tough because a lot of the tactics and hunt styles I talk about in this podcast require you to be in the best physical shape you can. Their app is designed for hunters to get you ready for the backcountry or any hunt you have planned this fall. Yeti's been a longtime supporter of mine, and they make some of the toughest products out there that are built to last and they're built for the wild. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Man, for me, it's been really awesome because I've been getting a lot of great success stories and photos rolling in from you guys, especially based on our elk series. That gets me really fired up. That's the reason that I do this podcast. So I just want to thank you guys for sending that to me. Uh, A lot of guys out there that maybe have been taking their first elk or have been elk hunting a while and use some tipper tactic from the podcast to find success. A lot of people saying like, man, I was listening to it on the way out. This scenario came up. It reminded me of something you said. We tried this, got a bull. And like that just, that is so cool. So thank you guys for sending that out. You know, this week I want to cover something that I think is a really important topic. I want to give you tips on how to mitigate mishaps from gear during the shot. So what I'm talking about is something where maybe your sight is off or some other mishap that causes a miss or a bad shot. You know, hunting can be difficult enough. And when you get into range on an animal and be successful, it's really one of the most rewarding feelings when it works out. But often that success is not without its trials and tribulations, right? Hunting can be hard enough. So when it comes time to make your shot, everything has to go right. The last thing you want is just a simple gear mishap to ruin your chances. And I honestly see it all the time, a loose sight, a drop scope that's now off, or one of the hundreds of other things that can lead to a moment of truth mistake. As a hunting guide, I walk away every year with piles of stories from messed up equipment that made something go wrong. I've seen it enough to develop a system to help mitigate these micro things that can ruin your hunt. The tips in this podcast, they're probably pretty looked over, but I think it might be the most important hunting tips you'll hear all year. But before we get into that, I want to share the story of my recent Nevada mule deer hunt and the jinx that came along with it. If you know me, you know that one thing I really like to do is try to block Murphy, you know, Murphy's law, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. I try to block him as much as possible. So I kind of create these systems or ways of doing things because I've seen enough things go wrong. I try to think of ways to mitigate that, right? So you can probably see where this story is going, but I first have to set the scene so you can kind of get the whole background. So early August this year, I had a mule deer tag in Nevada. This is one of my favorite hunts, kind of the first hunt of the season or the fall season. And I think that hunting mule deer 
is one of my favorite things to chase, especially with a bow. Mature mule deer can be very difficult to hunt. And for some reason, I feel like Nevada mule deer, they're just so switched on. They're, they're a very difficult animal to be successful with. So everything kind of has to go right. So just prior to this hunt, I think I mentioned it in an earlier podcast, but I was in Hawaii and hunting with some guys. And so I, I, I was kind of like fine tuning my setup. So I, I, I guess I could take it back. I'm still like, just to build the scene out even more, I'm still in a hard cast because I had a redo surgery on my wrist. I've got a hard cast on and I'm shooting the bow with the mouth tab. So it's got a little strap that I made. I bite onto it. I draw it back and then I just open my mouth to shoot. That kind of presents some problems in itself, but for the most part, I'm getting pretty good with it. I've been hunting with it for a little while now, you know, so I've got my arm in a full cast and I was in Hawaii like a couple weeks prior to this hunt, I guess a week prior. And, you know, I was kind of dialing my setup and thinking about this upcoming mule deer hunt. So when I got back, my bow was, as I'm learning to shoot with his mouth tab, is turned down to like, I think I was at maybe 55 pounds, but I have 60 pound limbs in it. So I thought I got back from the hunt and I was hunting like axis deer, goats and pigs, like smaller animals. And I thought, you know, it would be nice to get a little bit more speed out of it. Uh, I want to turn my bow up just to the most efficient setting, match my, you know, I'm, I'm good enough. I could probably draw 70 pounds now, honestly, but I thought, well, just crank it up to, to 60, max out the limbs or max out the, um, poundage that I'm drawing, I'll get a little bit more speed, a little bit more energy, bigger mule deer that I'll be good. You know, I want to go, I was kind of had a mixed bag of broadheads when I was hunting in Hawaii and for the smaller stuff, mostly I had some mechanicals and other things, but I I prefer to shoot a two blade fixed, especially an elk mule deer, Western big game. Like I like the penetration of it. So that's going to be my setup. So I'm back. I had some other things to do. and, And so I turned my bow up, I shoot it, readjust my sight, you know, get a new sight tape and everything. And I'm really liking what's going on. But unfortunately, just that little bit of poundage, maybe it was, I can't remember, it was probably like 52 before, not actually 55. I think it was like 52 or something. And now it's up to like 62, something like that. That that 10 extra pounds made a difference as far as the tuning of my arrow. So I think I was a little bit maybe underspined now because I, I kind of had it matched for that lower poundage. So everything's shooting good, like my field tips, everything's shooting good. But when I'm shooting my broadheads now, my fixed blade broadheads, they're a little bit left. So I need to kind of broadhead tune and match that broadhead to my field point. So I know I can shoot the field tip, I can shoot the broadhead, and I don't have to adjust the sight. So in order to do that, I make a rest adjustment. So I like to, I have everything Loctited down. So And you got to remember, like, I've got the cast on my one arm, my dominant arm. (laughs) So I'm doing everything, like, left-handed. It's a little hard to get the thing in there. And I break the lock tight and adjust the rest. And now the, you know, shooting and the broadheads and the field tips are matching. Everything's ready and set to go for this mule deer hunt. So I tighten everything back down. Now, on the hunt prior to this, the buddy that I was hunting with, we snuck in on a goat he had his bow he drew back his goat was like 20 yards a feral goat and he lets the arrow fly and misses it by like 10 feet 
And I'm like, dude, something's up. It was a little windy, but not that windy, right? And he's like, I, I don't know what happened. So he, of course, like doubled down and, and sh- snuck into another one and shot again. And no, it was definitely the bow, like 10 feet left and way low. So I look at the site and the site housing had been bent out. Like the, I guess it'd be the third axis adjustment was loose and the site was swung out, which moved the site you know, his point of impact, like crazy amount. So I ended up pushing that back in. We ended up fixing his bow and whatever. And I always like have this system of doing things so that like I kind of know whether that's going to happen or not. So now we're going to fast forward to the the deer hunt. You could probably see where this story is going, right? But I'll kind of go through the whole hunt story because it was a really incredible hunt. So for this mule deer hunt, um, I'm filming it for the meat processing company that I work with they've got a guy that's filming it and I've got like four days to hunt because I've got another trip that was kind of postponed. I know it's like from earlier, like COVID getting postponed, postponed. And so I was really looking forward to it It as a caribou hunt that I'd planned a couple years back. And now we're finally get to go, but it happened to be kind of right during my mule deer season. So I've got four days to go be successful with a mouth tab. I wanted to find a mature mule deer buck and spot and stock and get in and, and do the whole deal, right? Try to get it on film and all that good stuff. So the area that I'm hunting, I hadn't hunted a lot. It was just an area that was a little bit easier to draw. It's kind of my last choice, but I still, still, I mean, I, any hunt that I have in Nevada is great. So I'd hunted there with my buddy quite a few years back and we got into a, a place It was more of like a high country, little basin. He snuck in on a nice, big, typical buck that was bedded in these little aspen trees, waited on him, made a good shot. And it was just like, I was like, okay, you know, I remember that was a really fun hunt that we had in there. So I was like, let's, I'm going to go back to that particular spot. So we were driving out to the hunt. The guy Nate's with me, who's going to be filming. And uh, we're just talking about bow stuff and all the things. I'm kind of telling him the story of the guys the week prior sight being off and all this other stuff. And he's like, oh, have you ever had any problems with your sight being off or your bow being off or anything like that? And I looked at him, I was like, why would you say that? You just jinxed us, man, just joking around. I was like, you better get out and go knock on some sagebrush, knock on wood, because that, no, I've never had any problems. And I was explaining, like, I don't really have any problems because I kind of have like this system of preventing these problems. It's just this way that I do things of marking my sites and doing all this stuff and, and all that good stuff. Really the only kind of gear mishap I've had personally was, I mean, I broke a site once, but I had a backup site or I actually borrowed someone else's site. So as you can see, like, I'm like, okay, us hunters can be a superstitious bunch, man. When somebody mentioned something like that, I was like, man, this is going to be the time that happens. Because in the back of my mind, I was thinking, wait a second, I made a lot of adjustments to my bow right before coming out here. And I didn't do what I always do. I was a little bit rushed and I didn't mark anything. I didn't have anything for these new adjustments. There was a lot of steps that I forgot to do that I normally take, but I just tried to put that in the back of my mind. So fast forward to the hunt. Uh, We're actually there a little bit before the season. So I wanted to scout and try to find some good deer to be on opening day. We're looking around and we just are not turning up bucks. I mean, we're in the high, we're, we're like where I've seen bucks before. It's a little bit earlier than I'd ever been to this particular spot. I've always hunted it kind of toward the end of the season. This is the first week. 
And we didn't turn up any bucks, or we turned up a couple of smaller, younger bucks, but it seemed like the doe factory, right? Like a nursery. So I'm like, all right. So the next day, opening day, go out, get into the spot where I've seen bucks before. No bucks. Actually, hardly any deer. Few does. It was full moon. It was fairly hot out, but some rain was coming in. So we decided to go check a different area. Uh, got in the general, like a, you know, it's a Polaris machine. The roads here are just rougher than shit. So I've got my bow in the bow case sitting in the back seat. I'm like, perfect. That's fine. And it ends up getting like this big rainstorm. And I spot a buck bedded across the way. We're just like sitting up on this knob, just getting pounded by rain. And a buck actually was bedded and got up and started feeding. And he's just a buck and a doe. I watched him and then they bedded in this little spot. He was bedded facing downhill. So I thought that's not a great stock opportunity, but it's the best option. I arranged him, ranged where I could get to. I was like, okay, I think I could get within range. So I end up deciding to make a play on this. It's a nice four point buck. So I decided to make a play. And so I stalk in, I take off my shoes. It's quiet. I'm crawling in. And as I get to where the buck is, the buck was bedded lower. The doe is bedded up in some sage above him. So as I'm stalking in, I'm being cautious of where's the doe, where's the buck. And I see the buck and he's dead asleep, like eyes closed, snoozing in his bed. And I have to come up from below. So that's generally the thing when you're stalking from below, the eyes are the thing you got to worry about. The wind was good. I had a decent amount of cover, but he's bedded facing me. Now, when a buck falls asleep, you're like, bingo, this is it. We've got him. So I'm stalking in, stalking in, and I'm about 60 yards. And I'm, I'm creeping in to get closer. And, I, and my plan is to just get in and, and take a shot probably while he's sleeping because I know he's not going to jump the string or anything. So as I move in, out of the corner of my eye, uh, down the canyon, out pops the doe. And she has me pegged. I'm like, damn it. She got up and decided to feed. And she was feeding down. She was blocked from my view and then walked out as I was moving up. And we just caught each other at the exact same time. But the buck's still snoozing. So she kind of starts to get a little, what was that? What was that? So I ranged the buck. I'm pretty much at my maximum yardage. I, I was like, all right, I can make this shot. I make this shot in practice all the time with the mouth tab, but it's not ideal, but it, I think it's like, it should be a done deal. So the doe's pegged on me. I draw back. The buck is still bedded, but he, now he's awake. And he's not, I wouldn't say he's like looking at me, but he's just kind of looking around, but he's still bedded. And I have a good shot of his vitals. All right, so I draw back, I settle my pin in, I release the arrow, the buck jumps up, and I'm like, what happened? And I look, and the buck had just, he had jumped the string, my arrow was going slow enough with the weight of the mouth tab and the whatever, like, he just jumped the string and wasn't there when the arrow got there. I ended up watching the video back afterwards, and it was like, the arrow was perfect, but he just wasn't there. But, it, you know, it was like, and then he, he moved off and he stood there. He actually didn't even know what was going on. He's looking where the arrow was. And he was like 70 yards at this point, which was too far for me. And I'm like, dang it. You know, just that didn't work out. So I go back and that was just, everything was right. But I, I just had an opportunity and it didn't work out. The buck jumped the string. I thought that could have been a possibility, but I didn't think he was that aware. And my arrow just took a little bit longer to get there than I would have liked. So now I think it was like, okay, fast forward day two, spotted some, some deer 
not a lot of bucks. So it's one of those things where I'm like, all right, this is going to be, we've only got a few days to do this and we aren't seeing the amount of bucks that I'd like to see. And then just to find a mature deer or a good buck on top of that is going to make it pretty difficult. So we hunt the day. I see another, what was it? I got in on another buck. Just, it didn't work out. Like the stock, they moved off before I could get into position. And I'm going back and it's like the evening time. I'm walking back and I hear like a kind of a weird rattle. So I, I go to my rest and the rest is loose. Damn it. Oh man, because of that left hand, I just, I didn't relock tight it and I didn't probably get it tight enough the way that like the weird angle of holding things with the cast and whatever, a lot of excuses, but my rest had moved. So it's like now dark. So we drive back to camp. I've got a target in the truck. I've got like the headlights on the target and I'm trying to light up my sight and shoot and readjust. I look at, I'm like, normally I have all, all my info on my phone. I'm like, man, I didn't record anything. I have no clue where this rest should be so i end up getting the rest to where it, it's pretty good i'm like i don't need to shoot field tips anymore i was just uh, i'm gonna make sure these broadheads are on so i adjust the rest enough to what where i thought it was and then i, sh I shoot and i end up i think i just gave my sight uh, I, I loosened that up and gave my sight a couple clicks to left just to kind of balance things out so i was like all right this is it's good now. I'm getting it to shoot the best I could in the dark and I'm feeling confident now. It's, it's shooting good. I'm like, wow. Okay. That's a bummer. I didn't know where everything was at, but we should be fine. So the next day we're going and, and so we've got a plan. We're going to hunt this particular spot, but we weren't seeing a lot of deer. So we'd had plans to move to a completely different location. My father-in-law uh, works with a guy that had like this remote cabin so it was in an, a part of the area that I hadn't hunted in a while so I wanted to go check that out so we're like okay what we're gonna do we're gonna hunt the morning we're gonna drive midday to this new spot which is closer to home essentially and it'll give us kind of an extra half day to hunt because we won't have to drive so long on the way back so it's just a, a closer location easier to access than where we were and it would just be you know, a little bit better for essentially the schedule, give me a little bit more hunt time if needed. Like I could have, I had to be home by Sunday to pack up and leave Monday for a caribou trip. So, but it might give us an extra half a day. So we go out that morning, take advantage of the morning. And as we're coming back, I spot this doe in some really thick, tall sage, like six foot tall sagebrush. I'm like, man, I don't know. There's been does you know, a couple of bucks with those, but I just had this feeling like I gotta, I'm just going to sneak in and just see if a buck stands up. So I sneak into this doe, like 15 yards. I'm just, we're just sitting there waiting and a buck pops up standing there broadside. I draw back, I shoot. And like the arrow goes way, right. Elevation. Perfect. Arrow way, right. I'm like, what the heck? So now I'm just like, this sucks, man. I, a buck jumped the string the first day. Now I shoot way right. And I'm thinking like, dude, that sucks. I got to check this out. So we're packing up anyways, go back to camp. I'm like, all right, did I not adjust the rest? Or I'm like checking the rest. The rest is still tight. I'm like, what is going on? And I look at my site housing and it slid like all the way maxed out the wrong way. Uh, we're like, yep. There it is right there. So somehow while driving those rough roads, I must have not tightened the sight 
adjustment enough. And on the rough roads, it had bounced to where it fell all the way down. So when I shot, I mean, it was pushing the arrow way right. So I set up the target, you know, shoot at the target. It's way, way off. The arrow shoots right, just same exact as it did on the deer. That sucks. Adjust it to where I thought it was. Recite it in again. Now it's shooting bullets, shooting perfect bullseyes. And I'm like, oh, this sucks. Okay. So now I, I do my thing. I mark everything. I'm like, all right. I just, I not, I make sure everything's got a good tighten, as tight as possible on it. Drive to the new spot. See some bucks that night. Uh, make a couple stocks. I was got within 30 yards, but just no shot. Too much tall sage. And, and yeah, and I, and at the other spot, I did have a couple other really good stocks and encounters, but I'm, you know, stocked in on uh, one buck, 30 yards, no shot. So it's just, you know, tall enough sage, get within position, and then they're feeding and moving, and then your opportunity kind of passes you by. But it, I was having a, a, a great hunt. So fast forward to what would be the last day, um, Saturday morning, spot a, a buck across the canyon, bedded on the steep hillside and think okay this is good but we couldn't tell his antlers it's like so walk over there and look down in there and he's in this little pocket like big open sage hillside the bucks were in places normally you know earlier whatever i find a lot of bucks high and the bucks just were not high they're down in like different kind of country a little bit lower on the mountain so i've got this buck bedded in this hole and I, but I just can't see what he is. So I decided, okay, I'm going to make like a play on him and then take a look at him. So I, I stalk, I get up to the ridge. We get across from him, maybe 150, 200 yards away, maybe a little further. Throw the scope in there and he's just like a little fork and horn. He just, it looked like a spot where a big buck would be laying. So I sit down and I start glassing down below us. And there's all this, like it's all open sage and there's one lone tree at the bottom. And I'm looking at it like with my binoculars, like, I don't know, is that deer? Ah. So I get the spotting scope out, zoom in on it, and I just see the antler of like a, a good buck, a nice wide buck, big body. Like the way that the shade was hitting him, it was really hard to see. And the way that the heat waves are moving, it's like 11 a.m. at this point. I'm like, ooh, that's a good buck. <sighs> Mature deer, good buck, almost the last day. Yeah, absolutely going to stalk this. And in a perfect position. He's by himself. He's down below. Uh, he's I've got like good thermals probably going to start going up the mountain. Even though the wind was coming one way, I was like, it's getting hot. And I know that wind's going to shift. And I should be good. So I can stalk within range. It was steep. I mean, just like the perfect spot and stock setup. So I check all my gear, <laughs> make sure everything's right. Work around quickly and get into position. I figure it's going to get hot because the sun's just not hitting him yet. He's in the shade pocket, but the way the sun's moving, he's going to get up. So I was like, I want to get there before he starts to move. So I start working down. I get, I take off my shoes. I'm going shoes off situation, sneaking in. And as I get about, I think I got about 60 or 70 yards. I can range the tree. I um, actually take off my bino harness and just go, rangefinder because i know like sometimes just those little noises make a big difference when it's a little calm like this so stalking down the steep hill in my socks i'm ready you know it's, this is going to happen i get into position of the tree range it like 40 yards creep a little bit closer 30 yards and just keeping an eye on the antlers of the buck he's he's unaware so i, I creep to 20 yards from this tree 
And now I'm like set up. I'm, I've got my, I set my feet. I do, a, I'm like, all right. I double check my, I was like, everything looks right on my site. Everything's good, ready to roll. So I just stand there. And then a cloud comes over. Like, Damn it. <laughs> it's like, I was, this buck was probably five minutes from getting up out of his bed to rebed. And a cloud comes over and now it's shaded and now he's in the shade. So I'm standing there and just waiting, waiting, waiting. I start ranging everything around. So I, I've got, my plan is to be on the left side of the tree, even though, because it looked like taller brush on the right. And then across the canyon was some other shades. So I thought, well, maybe he'll go come out left. I've got a nice shot here, uh, 20 yards. If he goes down the canyon, 30 yards, if he goes up 40, like I, I just started ranging everything around. Um, so I was like, I'll use the time. And then playing the waiting game. I don't, I'm not going to try to get any closer. I'm not going to try to get him in his bed. Just wait for him to get up, move off. So I arrange all this stuff. Uh, I think it was like an, over an hour for sure, maybe closer to two hours. I can't remember of uh, just waiting on this buck. And finally, the, you know, this, the clouds were in and out, in and out. And the buck, I just see him shake his antlers. You know, I'm doing different things, trying to make sure my arm doesn't get too tired, holding the bow, swapping hands, um, just being ready though for when that buck does stand up. So he shakes his head. Okay, here it goes. Shakes his head, stands up. And sometimes bucks do this where they get up and they decide to just, they're going to run to a different spot, right? So he, he comes out. So as soon as he stands up, I'm at full draw and uh, using like that sound of him standing or whatever. And, and so now he's, he's just looking around and then starts to walk pretty quick. And he walks out in that 20 yard zone and I've got the mouth, I'm biting down on the mouth top. I'm giving it some grunts while like biting down. And he drops down the canyon and pops up the other side. I mean, he's standing in a spot that I'd ranged 30 times while waiting for two hours. Adjust for 30, open, drop my bottom jaw. The arrow sails perfect. A perfect shot. He runs down the canyon, tips over. A nice, big, mature three by three. And I had found success that day. It was a pretty awesome, a pretty awesome experience. The guy that was filming was like, uh, we did it like filming from a distance, so kind of like the whole scene because it was just too dry and too quiet to get two guys in. But I shot a great buck, and uh, yeah, it, it was just an incredible hunt and a lot of fun. And to be honest, I was I was a little <laughs> surprised that it ended up finally working out. I think there's so many little things that can go wrong in a hunt. That one thing that I always try to put a lot of emphasis on is just kind of mitigating those little things like the things that I see over the years like as a guide I'm I'm constantly checking people's gear I'm doing these things that I do for myself to try to limit the amount of potential failures because there's nothing worse than working your butt off right getting that opportunity that might be your one opportunity for the season for the week for the whatever it is or a good opportunity and then something being wrong like where you do everything right and it's not, it's just something out of your control. Like your bow sight is off. Your rest is moved. It r happens rifle hunting all the time. Last season, uh, two of our clients on elk had like, this has only happened a few times. And last year we had it happen twice where it was like somebody maybe dropped their rifle and then shot at an elk and the gun was way off. So there's things that happen in the field. And I try to find the little ways of mitigating those. So there's the system that I have and the... <laughs> 
probably what I consider like the one time where I felt too busy and, and didn't do what I always do, it bit me in the ass, right? So I think that this is just some really good information and some things to think about that I don't necessarily know if everybody thinks about them. But uh, it was last week I was hunting with some other guys on a lot and, and a lot of these guys are doing kind of this, a similar system that I do because maybe they've run into some of these problems. So the first I broke this down into kind of the the things that I do before I leave. So indexing my gear prior to leaving, uh, whether it's a rifle or bow, and we'll go into that. And then there's like the pre-hunt post-travel things that I do. And then there's the stuff that I do during the hunt. So we're going to break all this down. And I'm just going to go through my process and my system for trying to just limit the things that can go wrong. So the first thing we're going to talk about is a bow and then we'll talk about rifle. So when it comes to a bow, there's a lot, especially on like a compound bow, you don't, the thing I love about traditional gear is there's just keep it simple, stupid, right? Like there's not as many things that can go wrong and it is nice. Um, but for, for most hunters hunting with compound bows and there's a lot like they can be extremely accurate. They can be extremely effective. They are incredible pieces of equipment, but there's a lot of bolts, a lot of screws and a lot of things that need to be right. So uh, I'm going to kind of go through this, the things that I do before I leave for a hunt when I've got my bow set up and dialed and ready to go uh, that kind of prevent a few of these things from happening. So the first thing I do is is what I call like indexing my gear. I want to know where everything is set at. So if you've got multiple pins or whatever, this, uh, I used to do this a couple different ways, but right now I've got a sight tape. So one of the problems that you might find with a sight tape is you've got that tape on there. It's a sticker, but when it gets wet or damp or humid, sometimes that, or hot, sometimes that sticker comes loose and you'll be moving your sight and you don't know that it's actually scooching the sticker down. So you'll, you'll turn your sight to 50 or whatever, and it's actually not 50. Um, that's one that gets a lot of people. One thing that I do, the first thing I do once I get my sight tape dialed is I take clear packing tape and I make another kind of protective layer around my sight tape. So I cut the packing tape, I wrap it where it goes all the way around and, and overlaps itself in the back. And that kind of gets like, a, it's almost like an extra layer of protection. I found that, that by doing that with the clear packing tape, covering my sight tape, uh, I have yet to knock on wood. I, I can't jinx myself, but I haven't had any problems with it slipping. Another thing you could do is maybe like hit it with a little strip of super glue on the top just to kind of help hold it in place. Um, but the packing tape definitely keeps it a little bit more waterproof from rain, humidity, other things, and keeps that from sliding. So that's that's kind of the first thing I do. Then I start to mark, so I've got a removable site, and I mark where on the rail that I have my sight in. You think that you you use it enough, but when you set your bow up, sometimes when you, you travel or you take something off, you forget exactly. So I, I scratch out where my sight is in my bow. I've got like the integrate on the Matthew, so I just slide it in there and, and I just mark, okay, that's in this hole. So everything when I put it back together is in the same place. Now, not everybody takes their sight off or whatever, but that's that's just the way that I do it. So I, I mark the site. Now, every movable spot on my bow, so rest, sight, all, everything that moves, whatever part, I do a couple things. So I first mark it 
And then I also take pictures. And then I have like a document in my phone where all of this stuff lives. So I can just pull up that document and say like, okay, yep, I check it with this. I check it with that. And you're like, well, isn't the marking it enough? Not always because sometimes the mark isn't exactly as accurate or it comes off. I generally use a pencil to mark my stuff. And you're like, no, the pencil's not permanent. But um, – you know, it, it does last actually pretty good. Um, so a combination of the photo, because I, I feel like I, with that photo, I get like a pretty good detail of where it lines up and then try to mark the site and everything with a pen or a pencil or some kind of marking. You know, you get like a, I've used like, like those paint Sharpies, whatever, but they just aren't precise enough to mark some of these little things. So sometimes it's like a number it just depends on the type of equipment you've got. Right. But the picture, the combination of the picture and marking it works really well for me and you got to think about marking everything too like not just the left and right adjustment and the up and down adjustment but um, anything like my buddy the week before is like that third axis was swung out so i'll put if there's anything that pivots on the boat i'll use i'll do one mark across so it's like if two pieces and let's just say it's like a piece that pivots left and right like imagine it like the piece is your finger so if you stuck your finger out and it can move like as you bend it right it changes the angle of something so once it's set then I'll, I'll draw a straight line between those two pieces so if they don't line up then I know something's moved that one you can I can even I'll sometimes I've got like a engraver or whatever and I'll just like mark through the um, powder coating into the metal or with a nail or something like that um, and then I'll just sharpie it out if I have to adjust it uh, so you get a little bit of rust in there, but it's not a big deal, um, you know, because it, it's it's good to have those marks. And then I'll still take pictures of all that stuff because what I want to do is I want to make sure that I have a reference of where everything's at. Now, if you've got a site like before, now I've got the integrated rest straight to the riser. But remember, like uh, most people probably on their Bose rests, now you it's like on the riser, but it can kind of pivot in a way where it's like, just the bar, you got one bolt and then kind of like that lock set screw. So what I do is I trace around the outside of that on the riser to know if that's moved. In every little thing, I'm marking. Then what I'll try to do, if I know that I'm not going to need to make any adjustments, I like to lock, like blue Loctite everything. The trouble is like, you know, when you back those screws out, sometimes things move. So then you Loctite it and it's not exactly where you had it. Uh, so sometimes I, if I don't do that, I'll put like a, I can do like a dab of super glue or like a little bit of, I've even just used like a little bit of nail polish in the past, just over that bolt, just enough to like lock it into place. And then that's the way that I want to, you know, think about just everything that can move, having it marked or measured in some way. Because when you get out there and you're like, okay, let's say I, I get in the field and I shoot and I'm like, the bow's off. Well, how do I diagnose what is wrong? What moved? What? Why is it off? Is it, is it did the rest move? Did, did the site move? Where do I start? But if I have a reference for everything, then I know that, okay, here's a quick way to fix the problem because things do move. I'll say like with this system, it's not that things don't move. It's just that um, when something does, I can easily figure it out. Now, another thing to think about, if you've got a drop away rest and you're drop away is in your cable or you know not uh, not like limb driven <laughs> i've had remember they used to have these football ones where you'd like put the football clamp on and then adjust your drop away and then tighten that well sometimes that would slide or even you'd have that 
whatever. So I, I, I measure where in my cable the drop away connects. Like, okay, where does it from this and this? And, and take notes of that. So I know that like if something is moved, I can kind of figure out and start to diagnose what the problem is. And then also before I leave, the other part to having a bow and, and it being accurate is you're probably sighted it in with a rangefinder. And so that rangefinder is pretty integral to that bow making a good quality shot. So I always make sure that I've got a working rangefinder and then throw a spare battery in with it. Now let's move on to like the way that I would index my rifle because it happens with both. Dude, I've seen it so many times. I've actually had multiple times where I've been guiding people and they're sh like, I had one guy hit an elk and then the follow-up shot shooting again and the scope came off the gun it's like okay yeah it didn't it didn't work out well so with the rifle the first thing i do is i, I mark the rings on the scope like where the scope's mounted and i just use a pencil for that uh, it, it seems to work really good because that pencil like a really sharp tip in the pencil you can actually get in there better than other things it's like a little bit more precise and a little more detailed and it lasts for a while so i just mark like on either side of the rings on the top bottom just trace those lines of with a pencil like get it it's tight in there as i can and then on the will be i guess like to see if the scope is rotated left or right i always kind of mark the vertical in where the rings meet so i draw a line there on the scope where it lines up with that so i can tell if the scope's rolled so i'm just marking all the like a bunch of reference points so when i can just visually check it and say at any point during the hunt or the day i can just check it and say yeah, nothing's moved. Everything's fine. Another thing to think about is I, I also mark my eye relief. If you've got like an adjustable eye relief, only because I want my eye to line up from where I've been practicing. I've got an adjustable cheek piece on my rifle. I make a note of that. Anything uh, you can see where this is going, anything that you can, that could move, I make measurement of because it's funny how fast you forget where things were when you don't think about it all the time. You think you'll remember, but you don't. So I just have a note in my phone that has all these things. I shoot with a suppressor on my rifles, but I don't always have the suppressor on. So I like if I'm going to swap guns, I've got point of impact with a suppressor on, then I've got point of impact with a suppressor off. I also have both the ballistics for that because it does change. Like with my suppressor, I think I get a little bit more velocity out of it. So I've got, you know, in my ballistics app, suppressor on, suppressor off. Now, when I've got the capped windage or whether you've got a adjustable turrets or whatever, I, I zero out my capped windage in there. So I know if the left or rights have moved. And then if you've got an adjustable elevation turret, always use a zero stop. That's probably the biggest thing is like an adjustable turret spinning, the ones that aren't lockable. I've seen so many guys miss by miles on animals when it's a, it should be a chip shot because the adjustable turret has moved and they're taking a shot and it's not where it was supposed to be. So now let's jump into the pre-hunt post-travel process that I go through. So I've got all these things marked and you know, it's just something, it's a reference point that I can, I can just verify whenever I need. So as soon as I'm done traveling, I always, I pull out that reference, I grab my equipment and I just verify, yep, everything's where it should be. And another, like another thing that I do is, you know, obviously after I travel, especially if I'm flying, always shoot. 
There's there nothing's gonna mess something up more than an airline. Generally, when you're driving in a truck, like it, everything's fine. But it depends on where everything was sitting. You know, travel can do some things. I mean, I've had a bow that became off when I got to uh, the base camp because it was sitting in the back, of like essentially like baking in the sun. One of the limbs, the edge of the limb, had split and it adjusted the impact just from the heat. Now you don't want that to happen. Like it's something I now look out for and don't try not to have it like in the back window of the camper shell with the sun beating down on it uncased, right? You're like, that's dumb. But yeah, things happen, right? So when I arrive in my hunting spot, I like to, I mean, I if I'm driving, I carry a target for my boat. If I'm flying, sometimes I'll, I'll if I'm like packing in on a horse or I'm flying in somewhere, um, I'll just bring like a small like insert to a target that fits in my bag and it's just like a small way to uh, adjust and to hunt. So I'll just have that small target. Now, another thing that I carry with my bow is I'll always have a few of these, I think Saunders makes them, they're called blunt tips. It's like a rubber blunt tip. I'll shoot those before I leave and know where they impact. Generally, I've got when my bow's tuned and everything's right, they fly the same as my field tips or my broadheads or whatever. So they're the same. And I can use those blunt tips when I'm in the field as well to kind of like shoot at a bottle, shoot at a pine cone, shoot at whatever with a good backdrop and it doesn't damage the arrow. And plus it's good like if you're elk hunting, you can use them for grouse or whatever. Like they're they're pretty awesome. I always have a few of those with me. If I'm rifle hunting and traveling, I always bring a target. There's been a few hunts where it's like I get somewhere and before I go out, I find a place where I can shoot my rifle. I set up the target, shoot 100 yards just to verify the zero and make sure everything's right because you don't want – it's like why do you want to spend all that money, all that time, all that energy to get to the point where you can take a shot and you don't know if something's happened to your gun between when you traveled there and now the hunt. I think it's one of the most important things to do is just make sure your gear is on and where it's supposed to be before going in the field. Now we'll move into like the during the hunt check. So if I'm going generally before I go on like a, a stock, whether it's a rifle, whether it's a bow, I give a visual inspection of my gear. I go, okay, is anything loose? Is there anything off here? Is my, I've got an adjustable sight with my bow. So I, I check where my sights adjusted to like just to have those numbers in my head like okay my sights adjusted uh and during this kind of visual check it's like with a rifle okay i I zoom my scope out maybe as i'm stalking and i check okay is everything lined up still with my scope is everything look right is there anything that's rattling give it a little bit of a shake on my bow is like anything seem off and then kind of like look at the site yep okay my lines are all measured up everything's good because Man, during the hunt is when you're going to probably encounter those failures. It's, you know, riding a horse, uh, driving around in a vehicle, rocky roads, something strapped to your pack. Like, you you just don't know. Actually, another thought of uh, checking gear during the hunt with a bow is is grab the arrow you're going to use and give it a flex. I've had one time where my bow is strapped to my pack all week on a mountain goat hunt. You know, you're, you're going through brush, you're in the mountains, you're sitting down doing all this stuff that I the I, I snuck in on a goat my first arrow that I shot like snapped in half pretty much right out of the bow like almost midway the flex of that going off so it must have been strapped to my pack something pulled it and gave it a crack right and so just inspecting that gear before you do that stock trying to I never really even thought of it 
before that happened and now like if i'm throwing an arrow on and i've got time like i'm planning a stock i check i give that arrow a flex make sure everything's good with a bow a lot of times i'll put whether it's that arrow that i'm going to shoot or whatever before i go on stock and give it a drawback right i don't don't draw it back without an arrow on point in a safe direction give it a drawback make sure everything's working right because you want to be you're like okay i've got i've got to go take make this stock but i want to know when i make that stock nothing is has come loose nothing is weird i've done that before where it's like i go draw back and then i hear this weird rattle like oh something came loose and it happened to be a, a screw on one of the mods in my bow okay i've got i always have my allen set with me in my pack pull it out tighten it cool good thing i didn't drop my pack go stalk an animal and and have a missed opportunity here sometimes even with the bow like if if i've got time like hey there's an animal bedded i'm, I'm gonna make a play right before i go i've got that blunt tip in there in my quiver like oh here's a pine cone at 50 yards or whatever like i'm this is obviously a ways away draw back give it a shot all right now let's ride you know build that confidence right before going and and i'll also just like during the hunt shoot my bow in those times where it's like if i had to run back to camp and i've got a target in camp yeah i'll, I'll shoot my bow in camp or whatever just to keep check on things uh just kind of keep shooting there's i saw one guy once is like I don't know. I don't remember where I heard this or saw whatever. But anyways, he was saying like something about shooting in camp. And it's like, but that's where you should be practiced up at home. You shouldn't be shooting in camp because that's saying that you aren't ready for the hunt. It's like, if you've got that mentality, you, you haven't hunted enough, right? Because shit goes wrong. And so I shoot in camp to make sure things go right. So when I get that one shot on the animal, um, I'm ready. I've shot in the environment where I'm at. I, I think that continually shooting, it's like, it, it doesn't mean that I'm practicing. It doesn't mean that I'm learning how to shoot while I'm on the hunt. It means that I'm continually checking to make sure that my gear is going to be sound for when I get that opportunity. So if I get a little bit of time in the day, heck yeah, I'm going to shoot, shoot a few arrows. You know, there it's one, it's fun. And two, it's like, it just keeps everything loose. It keeps those, those motions and that movement. Like you're hiking around, you've got a pack on and you need to be able to shoot and perform. And so by doing it in the environment that you're at, when you've got downtime, you know, I'm not saying shoot a hundred arrows, but yeah, let a couple rip if you got a target or you're going to shoot at a couple pine cones with that uh, thing. Now, another thing that I think about doing when I'm in the field during, let's say I'm, I'm going to go stalk a mule deer. One thing that I do right before I, I plan that stock is I'll pull out my range finder and I'll range a few things and check a few of the settings. One big one is making sure that it didn't accidentally get changed from yards to meters or meters to yards. I was hunting, guiding a guy in New Zealand on tar. Uh, he was a European guy and his range finder was set to meters and we stalked in on a bull tar and he ranges it and he gives me the range and I adjust mine to whatever the hunter is shooting. I'm like, no, shoot it for this. He's like, no, mine says this. I was like, shoot it for this. And it turns out his range finder had been accidentally changed from meters to yards. And it was a straight down shot that was substantial enough he would have missed. So it's really good to just check those things. Maybe you've got it on a setting. Other settings that I check are like, make sure the battery's still running, right? <laughs> I don't know how many times I've like gone on. Like if it's if a battery's going to go out, it's going to be when you need it. 
check the brightness setting and then other settings. If you got it on a first, you got it on last, whatever you got it on, make sure it's what you want it on uh, before going in and getting into range if you can. And those are things that I check throughout the day as well. And then the last thing is if you take a spill, like this is especially with, with archery or with a rifle, I, I've kind of come to the conclusion like if you take a good spill, take a shot. If you got a rifle, you took a pretty hard fall, uh, go somewhere where it's out of your hunting area where you can shoot and take one shot. Just last year, I had a guy drop his rifle. I was like, ah, oh, it should be fine. And generally it is. I'd say if you did it 100 times, 99 of those times, the scope will still be on. But there's that one time that it's not. And this was like that one time. Snuck in on a group of elk, great shooter, great shot, close. I think he was like 300 yards uh, for him. That's a chip shot. And he shoots at this bull and almost smokes a cow like 15 feet above it. It's like, damn, that could have been really, really bad, right? And yeah, the gun was off. It wasn't an adjustment. It was like the fall had knocked to the scope, uh, point of impact off somehow. So that's just something to think about. It's like, you know, it's worth taking the time to index these things, to shoot when you get after traveling. It's worth checking your stuff during a hunt, especially just right before a stock. Just giving yourself this checklist and this run through of things to kind of prevent Murphy from sticking his nose or his foot in your hunt and saying like, well, anything that can go wrong, I'm going to make go wrong. So it's just the little details of having things set up. So um, when you're out in the field, when you're out hunting, you can do a few of these visual checks, a few things to make sure, yeah, nothing's moved and everything is going to work right. I hope you guys enjoyed this week's podcast. I know it's not one of those like deep dive into hunting strategy, but this might be the one thing that saves you more than anything. I think about it. I'm like, man, the one time I didn't do what I normally do because I just got a little bit complacent and busy and there's all these just like excuses, man. You can make a million excuses. And then I had a problem <laughs> and I'm like, okay. And and as when I'm guiding, I see these kind of things pop up all the time. Like there's rarely a hunt that I'm on where something like this doesn't happen to someone. And just by doing these simple things, like you can save yourself a lot of heartache and still things slip through the cracks, but uh, I definitely think it's worth it. And, and next week, I want to share kind of a fun story of a recent caribou hunt. And we'll kind of jump into a little bit more spot and stock tactics because uh, spot and stock hunting is definitely an extremely effective way to hunt. It's my primary way that, that I hunt animals. You can hunt a lot of different species that way. And there's just, you know, on any given hunt, there's about a thousand different tactics that you're using. But what I like to do is I like to break down an individual tactic and really look at ways of getting you to think of like, okay, I encountered this scenario. What's, what's a good way to proceed? One of those things is like when you've got a really good approach, deciding, hey, I'm a stocking in, like maybe you've got a bedded deer. And it's like, well, what's stocking in too close? Or is it better to like try to stock in and, and get that shot when it gets up or get into a position where you're kind of playing that chess game and waiting for that next move where you're a little bit further back, but you're giving yourself more option to move and be flexible. So that's one thing that I want to look at. Uh, and we'll dive into those tactics. It's really effective for pretty much anything you're hunting from caribou to elk to mule deer to antelope like just building out that stalking strategy so we're going to look at that next week you know another thing 
that I, I like to do kind of at the end of the show is just kind of highlight some of the companies and products that help bring this podcast to you guys. Stone Glacier is one of those companies. I really like working with Stone Glacier because of their gear, gear first and foremost. And that's what they do really well. I think that they make the best packs out there right now and they do a really good job with it. I've been fortunate to get to sample and, and, and in many cases actually even test some of the packs and the new products before they come out. One of the ones, the pack that I, like this is now my go-to pack, is the Approach 2800. It's only 2800 cubic inches, which that's, that's still a lot. Um, it's enough for a lot of your gear. It's great if you're just, you know, day hunting or, or short trips or want to go light. With the X-curve frame, like if you're a medium X-curve frame, the thing weighs like four, I think it was like, weighed it like four pounds, nine ounces, something like that. I mean, super lightweight. And then I've carried over a hundred pounds on it. I think they say it's got a 150 pound load rating. So you can pull that load shelf away and still fill it up with me. A thing that I really like about it, it's just really good for spot and stock hunting because you're constantly moving, but you want to have your gear with you. Um, and it also is really good for like, just the way that the it's laid out. It's got this big spotting scope pouch on the outside. You can strap your tripod to the outside and then a water bottle, but you've got a couple little pockets on the inside. It can fit angled spotting scope, bigger spotting scope. It's just really good for running gun style hunting. Like think about elk hunting where you're moving a lot. You've got everything with you. It's, it's light, it's quiet, it's a little bit smaller than other packs and everything just seems to stay tight up against your body. So I really, really like it. I've been really enjoying it. So that's just something to look into if you're in the market. Uh, you know, I like to just let guys know what I'm using, what I've been enjoying. The other nice thing is the load shelf expands pretty quickly and then you can just use the load cell to kind of if you got let's say you're packing in on a multi-day trip, expand that load cell. I'll throw my food and other stuff in that in that load cell, in the load shelf between the pack frame and the pack bag, and then cinch it up. Maybe I get to camp. I can hang that. I can I can remove that, and then I've got my pack to hunt out of. So that's just uh, kind of a way to think about expanding the size as well on a pack that's really good for the the day hunt, running gun style hunting, and then also something you could take into the backcountry lightweight. So just something to look at if you guys are in the market. Take a peek at that. I appreciate everyone. Thank you guys so much for all the success photos you shared, all the all the ways that you guys have helped support the podcast. I, I really do appreciate it. The comments, the ratings, the sharing it with your friends, it, it goes a long ways and, and it doesn't go over my head, man. I, I really appreciate all you guys sharing your stories with me. Thank you so much. I'd love to continue to share your guys' success stories on social media or whatever. So please feel free, tag me, shoot them to me in a message, you know, as the season rolls on. Like some of those things slip through the cracks. I, I try to get to as much as I can, but I don't see everything, especially this time of year. But I thank you guys so much. Uh, eventually, I do try to get to it. So uh, thank you guys so much for everything. And until next week, I'm just going to say keep it indexed. See you guys later.